0: Pushing Back Chaos with
1: Mel and Mike and Raph. Welcome back to another episode of Pushing Back Chaos with me, Paul Mel McFadden. In, well, in a happy place, about to go on vacation back to Oz, go see the family, catch up with uh, my mum, Nana Chris, the head of the family, and my brothers and sister, and uh, lots of loved ones and friends. Back in Melbourne, the kids are stoked, everyone's super keen, there's lots of positive energy flying around. It's one more day of work and then I'm off. How are you going there, Tio? Good to see you smiling face, mate.
2: Yeah, I'm good, man. Like um, just a couple of days off, celebrated my birthday not too long ago, which was lovely. Had family over, Wait, ate too much cake, ate like a total fat body. Uh, um, but I guess it's good to do that from time to time. It's yeah. So man, funny, the getting...
1: birthday is um is first of April. It's just it's such a coincidence, you know, the literal April Fool. For those of you out there, if anyone wants to send April Fool's um, birthday messages to Tio, just send them to the usual place. We'll make sure he gets them.
2: <laughs> but yeah, man, it's um it's been good though. Like March has been a pretty busy month for me, um just flying with work, and so uh, I'm looking forward to this month. The next month, just kind of throttling back and. And get a good chunk of time off. Great just, uh, you know, I mean, the, well, yeah, the weather's turning. So there's just more reason to be outside. I mean, we just had a brutal winter. Um, I mean, I haven't seen like dry waste since like the second week of November. I mean, it just it's been out the last week or so. But just, you know, because the snows receded a bit. But it's just been it's been fucking nonstop, man. I think we're all over it. I mean, it's like, fuck you, Mother Nature. We get it. You, you know, you could bring some snow. We get it. Get it. You know. Not impressed. Go on. Right.
1: Oh, that's that's good that you, you got some uh clear skies coming and, and happy times. How about you there, Mike? What you doing, brother?
0: I'm still trying to figure out how Raph isn't more gray at the age that he's at. But if you see he's drinking that Celsius, he's a healthy son of a bitch after he eats all of his cake. I think he's uh unlocked uh, what is it, the the fountain of uh the fountain of youth, but maybe the fountain of uh I don't know old see you next Tuesday or something like that. We'll rename it after him. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> look at those crow's feet coming in, dude. Oh, my God. Look at that. Look at him smiling. I'm really starting to notice well, a lot about you, Raf.
1: Coincidentally, coincidentally, Raf and I are only about six days apart. It's actually my birthday today.
0: Yeah. I, I thought That's that was right. pretty cool. I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, what is today? Is today Wednesday? Melon, isn't when, it your birthday today?
1: It is, yeah, yeah. Oh. million.
0: First of April is T.O. So you weren't right. gonna tell us, you're gonna you're gonna hit on Raph, but you weren't gonna tell us it was your birthday today. Wow.
1: You know, you get smashed all that work by your mates for it. So I thought I'd sort of keep it on the down low, But I was just gonna share that that when I when I came away this week as I'm doing this uh, you know, fly in fly out sort of work at the base, unpack the bags and um cherry and the kids had snuck a little cake and and card and stuff in my in my bag. <laughs> it was really really touching you know so just really nice to get like a handwritten letter from the kids and some cake and stuff which i'll be eating shortly on a video call so it's not all bad it's not no. all bad. well i'm gonna give credit to Cheza
0: for one i heard uh about a, an amazing welcome home uh things that she does weekly not just once a month or anything but weekly literally welcomes you back like a I don't know, like a king or something, which, you know, okay, sure. I think she's got the wrong person, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, shout out to Cheza And also she may have been the one that slipped me the, uh, the Intel on your birthday and said, don't let him get away with anything. So. <laughs>
1: yeah, she's pretty good. Like I, I get home from being away and just have such an amazing greeting and walking into a house that's full of music and he's playing, and there's just like a happy smile at the door and smell of amazing food and sit down and get given a nice cold drink. And it's just, honestly, I'm like, what have I done? <laughs> there's got to be a, a hammer that's going to fall. There's going to be a bad. And, you know, yeah. it sort of hasn't happened yet. So it's, it's definitely a, a, a really nice thing to, to get home to the family every time. And, you know, everyone's sort of pulling their weight. The kids are pushing on there at 16 and 14 now working hard in school and they get that their part. The contribution they're making for the family is that that dedicated school work and getting into the homework as early as they can. Michael with his rugby and sport and Annie with her music. And they see Mum doing her part, just make running an amazing house and nurturing and obviously see me going out into the world, getting resources for the family and so on. And it just I don't really know what <laughs> I'm waiting for the point where these teenagers turn into little horrible people because it's just not happening for us, you know, but it just feels like kids who understand what their role is you know, what their mission is. And they know that they're moving towards it. And it feels like all four members of the team are pulling in the same direction. It's just, it's really, it's a, it's a really happy stage, right? Couldn't be more grateful.
0: What, uh, all right. It's so a quick yeah. question to open up the episode for both of you. What did you both, wish for your birthday and what was the most memorable thing
2: i i wish that you'd be off the show permanently wait Jeez. if i said out loud is it gonna is it gonna come to fruition or did i just <laughs> jinx myself
0: no you just made yourself an asshole because i was trying to be nice for once and then that's what you shoot off with dude oh my god see this is this is why you know this is why i, I, I can't with these guys like i really tried it's just such touchy subject R- Raph woke up at like what what is it out there uh, like 5? yeah 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 and look look at him just yeah yeah just the, just how he said that and he basically just said f f you Mike, like we all know how to uh-huh. you. <laughs> Come on, it's an honest question. What was the best day of your birthday, and what are you grateful for?
2: Well, my actual birthday, I was in San Diego. It's actually kind of a funny story. I was with Nick, old Nick Grossi uh um, we linked he... up yeah yeah he's he's still linking up with older dudes in the middle of the night just to have dinner which <laughs> i still find unusual that he doesn't think that's a flag but anyways we linked up and uh we we went to we met up at this pub um and just you know caught up man the guy's fucking the guy's awesome and uh and then i don't even know how he knew but the like the very next morning, or maybe it was later that night, he sent a text. He's like, "Hey man, why don't you tell me it was your fucking birthday?" And I was like, "I I don't know. I I don't I didn't think it was important. Like we're just we're just gonna go. You know, break break some bread and maybe have a beer or two. Um, but yeah. Anyways, he was like, "Dude, you should have told me." I was like, "Why? What difference does it make?" I'm just I'm kind of like you, I don't really make a big hoopla about birthdays. Like it's just it's never been my, you know. I I appreciate it, but it's like if, if I came home and it was just regular day, I don't think I'd be offended. I'd be like whatever.
0: Yeah, I I wouldn't bring it up too if I was old
1: as shit. Uh, let's let's move over to yeah. you, later, Melon. Uh well, legit getting getting that card and because you know I didn't know I was there until I got I got to my room and I'm unpacking and. Putting a bit of food in the fridge. I was like, "What the hell?" There's a card and there's a little envelope with numbers and a lighter and stuff for a cake. And then Michael wrote Michael wrote the bit for him and Annie. She's just really sweet, you know. Obviously, it's a bit more difficult for Annie to write stuff, but she's the one in the family who's fully mental for birthdays and you know she's got the countdown running. She knows the next <laughs> is it Halloween. Christmas, her birthday, you know, she's got the whole family calendar plotted mentally. And so, you know, those guys just, you know, made such an maybe for a million dollars. And then just coincidentally, it's vacation starting this weekend. So to get home and see family will just be a wonderful thing to share Easter with our family back in in, uh, country Victoria. We're going to go down to a lake and get the kids sailing and stuff. It's autumn there now, so it's going to be sort of pretty cool and rainy, but Good family times, so yeah, I'm feeling very uh blessed,
0: So now that's how you answer that question, Raph.
1: I hope you took notes,
0: you you miserable son of a bitch, because <laughs> two two drastically different answers right there of just like, oh, blah, 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 and then you got Melon's like, I'm gonna have spent family time and beautiful, you know, and everything and uh traveling and whatever. And, and Raph's just miserable, just I was with Nick Grossi eating in the middle of the night with beers and didn't give a shit about my birthday, you yeah. know. God, you're such an old, old. Shit. I
2: answered, I, I answered the way I did because I know that you're a fucking snake in the grass. People don't know this about <laughs> you. I do. It is true. It's
1: oh crazy.
0: man, uh, I love you so, both. Happy birthday to you both. Pieces of shit.
1: And so we've been having birthdays. What's been going on? You're part of the world, Mark.
0: Absolutely nothing. None of your business. <laughs> 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 uh just uh lots of work man lots of work I'm very busy now and i'm gonna be going busy until the fall time not a lot of breaks not a lot of personal time it's time to dig in and just you know the 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 grind has already started for me a couple weeks ago and uh you know like people say man it's like i'm in it there, there's no uh throttling or anything it's like i'm i'm, I'm in it and uh, just trying to balance personal life with with this schedule was tough. Um, one of my uh, one of my best friends is getting married this upcoming weekend, and uh, just completely honored to ask me to be his best man. And uh, I I don't know how that is. I mean, maybe for maybe for women, it's like, oh, I wish I could be like a maid of honor, you know, like this is a, a big deal. But I don't know. I'll just be honest, man. For me, you know. I always kind of wondered like i wonder if i'll ever be someone's best man in a wedding or something like that's 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 an honor man and the fact that he asked me to do it like i i, I kind of got tears in my eyes because i was like dude you, you you know he's got he's got a brother he's got other people and whatever and it's just like you you chose me you know and he's like no question and and just to know that you know he thinks of me in that light after what 20 21 years of being best friends it's like no no greater honor. So uh I'm gonna be heading up this weekend to 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 go to that and be be part of it. But you know, short lived. I I have to leave shortly right after the uh ceremony and to be back for something for work. So kind of sucks, but I'm also not gonna miss that opportunity uh to, to be there for him and celebrate with him. So uh that's probably the the biggest thing on the horizon right now that I'm I'm excited for and you know just take a step back and be grateful from all the chaos, dude, that there are good things happening. So it's good.
1: It is a massive honor to be asked to do that. I, I agree. I, I think it's big for women as well. And, and definitely when you're in that era, when your friends and family are getting married and being asked to be someone's best man and who we asked to be our best men, that's a really big deal, I think. And, and um, obviously, all of his other people must have been sick or out of town and have to fall back and go to
2: fall back position 10 between you. Yeah, I didn't I didn't have the heart to tell him that uh, he called Melon and I and Melon can because he's going to Victoria and I can't because I've got to fly. I've got to drive my little cart around the airport. So <laughs> I mean I try we try to let him down as as, as nice as possible. Cause I just because he said it was like fuck. And then he mumbled something about Mike and then he said, Fuck. And I was like, I'm I'm sorry, man. I I gotta drive this cart or else I'd be there.
0: Let's move on with the topic. All right. I don't need to sit here and take this shit. <laughs>
2: yes, you do, and you're gonna like it.
0: <laughs> oh man. All right. So let's let's get into the topic here. Um last week we revisited Tender Warrior. Uh, And we talked about it's a book by Stu Weber and basically a book that has really transformed the three of us into better men, into better uh, partners, into better um, just people in general. And we thought we'd kind of continue this, you know, just into these uh, these topics. Not that we don't have other topics we want to talk about, but I think it's very important that, you know, once you hit something as deep as this and important as this, that you stay consistent so we we figured at least two straight episodes, maybe talking about these things would be very, very important. Uh, the next chapter with this is called uh, Beneath the Breastplate." And it's, it's mainly talking about a man and his in his heart and kind of his feelings and, and, and how things go. Uh, just to initially open this up, there is a huge massive problem within modern society with the automatic assumption or quick connection that a tender man is a soft man or a snowflake absolutely false and i believe real men know the difference and people should be able to see the difference between somebody who is tender and somebody who is soft um There's so much blurry lines anymore between definitions and titles and made up names and whatever else you want to get into down that rabbit hole. But when you really truly understand uh, the great qualities of a real man, of a good man, or just as a man or a person in general, I should say, this particularly focuses on men, but things become clearer. Your confidence is, is uh, very high and you know who you're supposed to be in what moments. And this in particular, you know, it, it talks about certain uh, examples such as uh, general Norman Schwarzkopf, who was the commanding general for uh, operation desert storm in 1991. He was in an interview one time and he was out there and one of the people asked him, you know, Hey, you're talking about a lot of crazy stuff. And, you know, are you uh are you scared to cry? And he bas- basically looked back and he's like, uh, I'd be scared of a man who didn't cry. And that really sets a tone. I mean, you know, coming from a, a general and lots of time in the military and seen a lot of stuff and been a part of a lot of stuff and commanding troops to their death. uh, It really makes you think like, who would, you, who would you want to be around as your father? Who would you want to have around as your partner or a son or a friend or a teammate? It's like, do you want a mindless robot going out and just doing, you know, at some times you got to do some terrible things to terrible people uh, and you have to live with that ultimately. But if you see no reaction, if you see no hesitation, if you see no you know, post-processing of what happened and someone is just cold and dark, I, personally, I would be pretty scared of that person because I don't know what the hell you're thinking. I don't know what where your values are. I don't know what you think is right, what's wrong. And, you know, just my personal view, the best men that I serve with in the military, but also just around in my life, are men who are very, very tough, very hard, physically fit, mentally strong, capable of extreme violence, or I've witnessed them uh, give extreme violence to bad people, and then turn around and see them walk in with their daughter, or their kids or their wife, and just be the most tender individual, kindest yes, please. Thank you. Yes, sir. No, sir. Hold the door for people, uh, putting others before themselves. And man, if it doesn't like just kind of grab you and say, wow, that's a good human being, you know, those are the strongest people. The, the, the people I distance myself from, like I said, are the people who are just arrogant, always wielding their power, wielding their experience. Do you know I'm a hard son of a bitch, like constantly throwing it out there? It's just like if if you have to tell somebody that you're hard, if you have to tell somebody that you're tough or what you did or some, you know, the extreme violence that you put on somebody and you have to brag about it, you have a lot of work to do. And, you know, take that as you will. I don't consider myself anything special. Uh, I don't think Raff and Mellon really do either, but we've been around, we've been in around a lot of amazing people and positions way farther than ourselves with a lot more experience. And that is not the way to do it. So I think just introducing the topic that way, uh, maybe we can dive into some personal examples that we have, talk about the the difference between being tender and soft or a snowflake, as some people call them, and why it's important to have that balance in your life in all aspects.
1: It's it's such an interesting uh, section in this chapter beneath the breastplate. And I think it's sort of right in the bullseye of what we're aiming to normalise and do with this podcast, which is like sort of regular men talking about stuff that's not really seen in the culture. Like there's a lot more promotion of like the bravado and trash-talking alpha male type behaviour in movies and I feel like that's like what people think people in our lines of work, aviation, military pilots and SF students would be be like. And they're never never the kinds of people that are going to be leaders or well-regarded in our groups either. There's, There's got to be those people who are able to, who've got their really clear reason of what they're doing and why they're doing it. You know, the people who are fierce Protectors and defenders, like the wolfhound protecting the, the, the flock of sheep from the wolves, and they've got really clear vision on what they're doing and why, and they're able to change gear for the appropriate situation when they're back with the family. Back um, in those other environments, you see it on sporting fields and stuff as well. And a lot, I think, it's a real problem with teenage boys trying to sort of figure out what are they supposed to, how are they're supposed to act as men. And you can see a lot of really bad examples that are really obvious and it leads to stuff like gang culture and that, that sort of toxic male behaviour that you, you hear about, that I think it's normally not really accurately attributed. So like I was lucky when I grew up, my dad was really like a, we're talking, you know, like I was born in the late 70s, so 70s and 80s when I was growing up. My dad was really like the strong disciplinarian in the house, very a quiet man, businessman, always dressed in a suit when you come home from work. But like if we'd we'd mucked up and our mum said, wait until your father gets home, we really knew that it was serious serious stuff. Belt would come off sort of type of thing. But married with that sort of traditional disciplinarian stuff, my dad was really loving. And I think that was very unusual for a man in his era where there was a lot of affection given to each one of his sons and his daughter. So that I sort of grew up with a really strong male role model where there was both the ability to be strong and hard when needed, but also really protective and loving. And I think that there's it's easy to miss one of those two things. And I think this is an element that Stu Weber highlights in this chapter where you can be sort of, he describes it as like trying to emulate feminine love, which has its place. But when there's no strength and capability and determination, coupled with that, it can be skewed. And if you're just a hard disciplinarian, trash talking without the marrying that with the emotional awareness and so on, then also it's imbalanced. So I think there's a really, I think this chapter is a really key chapter on like masculine love or emotional awareness in a paternal loving way, where you've got the ability to use either either lane of like being the sort of hard and strong, but also the loving and protective. That's sort of what I was getting out of it.
0: Yeah, that's uh, it, it's nice that your dad like popped in your head and like he was kind of your example, you know. And one of the biggest examples that I can have come to my mind is for football fans out there for American football. There's a guy named Troy Polamalu, and he's an American mm-hmm. Samoan. And uh, Raph, you you you've met him before, and he is one of the most amazing men I've probably ever met in my life. And I, I uh, am blessed to call him a friend and uh, have gotten to know him the last 12 years uh, hanging around uh, the team and just personal connection and spent time with him at, you know, at the facility during games. I've uh, flown out to his house and spent like a week with him and multiple times and done stuff. And the way he speaks and carries himself And then the way he plays is undeniable. Uh, Every one of his teammates, and I'm not the only guy that knows this. Anybody that knows American football or, you know, you're a Steelers fan or like whatever, loves Troy Polamalu because of this. He is one of the most dynamic, ferocious people on the field with, I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. But if you listen to him speak, and then also watch how he carries himself and his actions he is one of the most humble tender men i've ever witnessed in my life and i know Raph can attest to this uh mel and you were kind of talking about you know uh admitting <laughs> you know whether it's like sport or anything else but it was you know how you should be and Troy actually sent out a video. This is from a while ago, but it's it's recirculating. And when he was growing up, he was playing football. And I think this is when he lived in Oregon. And he was out on the field and he had some of his cousins and his family around. And this dude like got up and was like trying his hardest. And Troy was like, I hit him so hard and laid him out. And I stood over him. And I was like, and I said, F you. And walked away. And then he's like, we got in, he's like, we got into the car afterwards and we're driving home. And he's like, I was so excited and so proud to tell, you know, my, my family in the car of man, I, I, I lit this guy up. I, I hit him so hard and I stood over him and I said, F you. And his whole family turned around and looked at him and they're like, Troy, that's not how you do it, dude. What are you doing? Like, it's a game. And like, what kind of man are you being in this situation? And he's like, I never forgot that. And he's like, if I would have hung on to that, or maybe they would have encouraged me to treat people like that over a game uh, and not respecting your teammate or having anything, um, I wouldn't have viewed professional sports the way I do. And this isn't coming from a guy that played five minutes of football. This This guy was a perennial Pro Bowler, two-time Super Bowl champion and currently in the Hall of Fame. Like this guy backed up every one of his actions and with his words, uh, his entire career. And he is just, uh, I mean, forget he transcends football. He's just an amazing human being. And just to watch him by example, he's a very, uh, God-fearing man. He aligns himself with those values and principles of who he's supposed to be as a man. He's a wonderful husband. He's an amazing father. And I watched him with, with, with both. And, uh, you know, he's somebody that, I try to aspire to be, to be like, I'll never be him, but I I truly aspire to be like him because of things like that. And he's open about speaking about it. And that's a huge difference between a lot of men is nobody wants to talk about being tender because it's automatically viewed as, well, this dude's soft. You know, he's a pussy, he's this, he's that. Uh, I don't want him around me, he's a liability. It's like, no. The guy who can come out and speak tenderly about feelings, about hard stuff, about his life, about his love, everything. To me, that is a potentially dangerous, in a good way, man, because that guy has power and control over whatever is given to him versus the sporadic guy, which we talked about Peterson saying, you want to be the most dangerous man in the room, but know how to control it? And you let that you let that monster out when required, but then you should be tender and kind with women and children. Absolutely. If you can have the power to control that. God, I admire you because it's the loose cannons. Those are the ones I worry about.
1: Yeah,
2: I think um, Troy is probably the best example. I'm actually glad you chose him, Mike. I didn't even think about Troy but i remember he completely changed my perception and i'm not saying that all nfl players are like him but um up until the you know up until that visit um where you invited me to go with the team to go visit you know with the with the steelers up until that moment i literally just assumed all nfl players were about you know hooks and blow and that's how they spent like all their weekends And Troy was literally one of the first people I ended up meeting and having like a legitimate conversation with not about football. We just, we just talked about anything. Actually, we mostly talked about surfing. Um, But I noticed that within the first three minutes I had met his wife. I met his two sons. I'd met, I think there was another relative that was there. Um, Just, it was like an immediate instant, just like a, it was so, I think it might've been his, um, his mom. Was was his mom there by chance, Mike? I remember we we're just sitting there talking in the hallway when we, and well, when Pat and those guys gave him a rifle.
0: Yeah, it was his wife's mom. But
2: yeah, okay. But it, the point, the point being though, know, is that they were just the whole family was just an authentically, genuinely, just kind, very loving. There was nothing fake about them. Um, and I, so I'll say that about Troy. I also say that about his family. And I think if you. If you studied your life enough, you realize that the people that you've noticed that kind of carry this, these sort of combined, what might seem like polar opposite traits. And then the more you understand it, you start realizing, like, actually, no, it kind of goes hand in hand, you know, because someone who's strong, strength in itself, like pure strength in itself, usually gives you confidence, right? Because you, you gain it through, you know, just constant failure, constant, just sheer force, constant, just putting yourself through the grind. Eventually, you come out the other side of that. And you realize like, holy hell, I'm strong. And I'm not talking about just physically strong. I mean, like mentally strong, all the, all the attributes that come with strength. It's not just, it's not just um, physical, but obviously physicality, something that's very obvious and something that society cherishes. Like I know, and I'm going to go on a segue here. I know that right now we're doing body positivity and you should, you should totally be a fat body. But the truth is that's just on the surface and no one really means it. We respect you. When you're completely in shape, because we know that it took real discipline in the gym, in the kitchen, you know, with your sleep, with your daily protocols to get to that physique, right? Like, so don't don't be fooled by this body positivity bullshit. It's, it's literally the fastest way to, to the grave. Um, but anyways, like I said, that's a segue. What I was going to say about strength is that it gives you confidence. And that confidence is what allows you to actually kind of show your weakness or I shouldn't say weakness but it, it allows you to be vulnerable right and it's completely conversely the other way where if you're weak you don't want to show your vulnerability because there's no strength that gives you the confidence to do so um, and you know and if you do show vulnerability then you probably feel and I'm just assuming because you know when I felt like I was a weak individual I felt like showing my vulnerabilities just made me that much of an easier target for for the life at large or the world at large so i think that's you know i think that's the relationship between strength and confidence and and vulnerability and then vice versa which is why you see you know offline we're talking about the nashville shooter or whatever that person's name was yeah um, but clearly but clearly that person was weak right clearly i mean they that person showed all the signs of weakness like l- literally all the signs physical mental emotional they i don't know anything about their life just know that they're this combination of of of, uh weaknesses culminated in this horrific event where they where they killed you know three three kids and and three adults um just for no reason other than they're they're just weak they're pieces of shit and do i blame them do I, i i don't know man i don't know their environment i don't know their upbringing i'm just saying like that is a direct result of that you know so it I know it's 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 a big um discussion right now in, in our current society about guns and the violence and all this other stuff, but I I think it really it's quick, or at least one side of it really is quick to dismiss the reality of like um just how weak our society has become and how it's developed this real mental health issue and emotional like just just weak emotional um I don't even know what the what the term is, um IQ, I guess you can say. And and we're seeing the, the 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 results of this, right? High divorce rate, um, you know, fucking just unsolicited murder of innocent children, um, like in the dozens. I mean, it's just it's it all can be traced back to a, a weak a weak individual. Yeah. And so I think that um, you know that that's the extreme polars of it. But I think that this chapter, like you say, really does a really good job of marrying, you know, what. But I think men should strive to be, which is strong and powerful and protectors. And, and then when you need, like Mike said, you know, come in with immediate uh, level of violence and force to stop any sort of evil going on uh, within your community. But at the same time, use that tenderness to connect. Because at the end of the day, man, it's, it's, it's all about love. Like, Let's be honest. Everything we do everything you do is to, to connect with the people you love with, whether it's your friends, whether it's your wife or your husband, whether it's your children, the things that you do every day, um, whether it's going to the job to, you know, to get money to, for the house, for the, for the activities so that your kids can go do it. It's because you love them. You know, you're not going to go and grind through a job just for the sake of grinding through the job because you love money that much. I mean, there are sociopaths like that, but that's, that's a very, 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 very small number. Most of us do, the things that we need to do to to be around the people that we love and express our love to those people and we do that by going hey I just worked you know an extra shift to provide for you guys that that's our language of love sometimes but the truth but anyways love always comes back to the ability to touch and 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 I think touch is a is a big piece I think that's the part Mike that I, you might be talking about where it's misconstrued where it's like oh you're, you're soft because you want to show vulnerability, but the truth is everybody needs to be touched. Everybody, whether it's a hug or a high five or a, a kiss to your wife or your husband, you know, there's there's something very powerful in that touch. It's, it's the instant communication of we belong together. We're part of the same, whatever it is without, without saying anything, yes. you know, whether it's a squeeze in the hand, a kiss, a hug. I mean, it's like, it's like saying, dude, I'm, I'm part of you. You're part of me. And we didn't say a damn word about it. Like we just know it just through that, you know. That sensation. So, anyways, yeah. I think it's a. I think this is a fascinating chapter.
0: Melon, real quick, I, I just want to toss it. Everybody, raise your hand if you're listening. If you don't like being hugged, if you don't like being appreciated, if you don't like someone holding your hand or telling you it's going to be okay after a bad day, or you know something like that. Like everybody's hand should be, you know, should be down. Like, dude, I freaking, I love having that. And rap, you hit it on the point when you said lacking IQ. I think it's lacking emotional IQ, emotional intelligence. That's what's lacking. It's not talked about in society a lot. Everything is either you're either hard because you're working out and you're a fucking animal in the gym or you're a soft snowflake that wanders around. and You don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and you want to, you know, you're super passive. There's no in between, but it's literally, you know, <laughs> emotional IQ is not found in material things. It's not found in the car you drive. It's not found in the money that you have in your bank account. It's it's not, you know, how you know it's just not found in that shit. Emotional IQ is something that really strikes at your heart. And in this, in this chapter, one of the examples, which I can't speak on, I hope I you guys know I, I hope I do one day. But he's he talks about, you know, when he was a Green Beret it's still in the military and all the stiff stuff he went through in Vietnam and everything else that he came back and he walked into the hospital when his wife gave birth and he looked at a crib and it said Weber on it and his instant the instant thought in his heart was this is mine and for the first time in his life he said he he rested his eyes on something truly of his own with his child and he talks about how he felt and how he wanted to cry and just felt this emotional attachment. He's never felt before. That's not in money. That's not in anything that you can build or whatever. That's, that's something that is so intimate in a connection and a relationship that builds that emotional uh, intelligence that Ralph brought up. And why if we're not investing in that type of stuff on that relationship and the thing that just popped in my head, my grandmother's thing that I have in my in my place is the best thing in life are not things. If you're investing in those relationships, in that feeling that Stu is talking about looking at at his kids for the first time, I think we're doing it wrong. You know, and and it's just uh you talked about that kid, man, that shot up the uh, the school and how much emotional lacking of emotional intelligence, like. Those people are so disturbed or are messed up or have mental health issues or emotionally damaged or they, they don't even understand themselves, let alone going in and dealing with other people. So they take it out and enra- and go rage. Uh, that's freaking sad, man. I mean, you can't have rogues like that going around doing what they're doing. But in a sense, man, you feel I don't know, I, I feel bad for the person that had to feel like they, that was their last resort or that's what they had to do to, in order to handle it because how many more layers did they go through to be denied? How many more layers did they go through to feel like they weren't worth it? You know, it was probably because they got thrown in one of these extreme boxes left or right and had no guidance, had no values, had no mentor, had no, Hey, this is who you're supposed to be. Uh, you know, and, and how you were created as, as a man, you know, as, as a woman, like it doesn't matter. Um, and you, and you kind of feel bad, man, in in a, in a sense. But sorry, I kind of went off a little bit, Melon. I know you're you were hopping in there. Go ahead.
1: All really, all really good points. No joke from both of you guys. Ralph had really good stuff in there where he was talking about true strength gives you true confidence, and in that true confidence from true strength, you're able to be vulnerable, willing to be vulnerable. Whereas someone who doesn't have that strength and confidence will always be trying to paper over and mask and pretend that they don't have. These vulnerabilities, they don't have these flaws or weaknesses, and I fight to prevent them being exposed and get defensive and lash out and so on when they feel that they are getting seen. When we are willing to be vulnerable with people, like when you think about, it, like inside your family, with your your, your partner, your wife, your, your husband, your family, your sisters, brothers, and you like your own children. I'm thinking about my wife and my kids. If I'm not able to be vulnerable with those guys there's going to be a really stunted relationship. Like a true strong relationship is only going to grow when people are willing to be vulnerable with each other and you're really willing to open up and let them know what the things are that you're having a hard time with and where you've struggled and where you've fallen short and what you're doing about and all that stuff. And especially as a parent, especially as a father for the children to know you know you've had hard times and you've struggled with things because otherwise you you can create that situation where there's that implacable sort of strong masculine force in the family and they don't get any of the difficulty they don't get any of the struggle they don't get any of the emotional uh, stuff in the background. So I really feel like Raph has talked has really hit something the true strength confidence ability to be vulnerable and I think that that's what leads to strong relationships and. You know, I don't know much about this situation you've talked about, but I feel like anyone who'd go and attack children is someone who's emotionally crippled and has had all sorts of issues. And I think you'd probably find a lot of people in those situations. Certainly, a lot of people who are in prison have no father in their life. They don't have that fatherly love. It's a it's a strong statistic correlation. Violent offenders, a lot of the time, don't have that. They don't. It, it, it's a single parent, you know, and shout out to the single moms because my mom was on her own and she raised us and it's a hard situation. But there's this is what we're talking about here, about men not being men, men not standing up and doing what they need to do. And part of that is being emotionally available to your family, emotionally available to your children, and that comes from true strength. I have a great friend when my daughter Annie was in the neonatal unit and, uh, you know, like day six or seven, just in total shock and having a terrible time. This other big, big Aussie guy walked over and just put a newspaper near me and walked off. And it was just like a, the perfect sort of way to say hello in that situation. No crying, no questions, just left me alone. And then later he and I became really close friends, Mike Safi. And this is another former military guy who was an armored armored corps guy, getting around in uh, APCs back in the day and then into first aid and um, ambulance and mine safety and mining in Western Australia. And he really had this strong thing about he was his children were not going to miss out on anything. So he's a great provider, really a great man going in, fly in, fly out, working the mines and really working hard to bring back great resources for his family. But he had, that wasn't the only thing. He was like, my children will not miss, miss out on anything, including all of the emotional support. So he was a very, very loving father, very, a very big, immense uh, pillar of physical strength, and then all these sort of admirable qualities around getting resources and great work ethic. But he had he had this real great balance about, you know, you don't want to be the one who's away all the time and not there for the kids. So he was really just a, a great example of these two parts that come, and so I think. RAF has hit it on the head. True strength gives confidence, the ability to be vulnerable, and that leads to strong relationships. And you're not going to have those strong relationships, the things that are really going to steer people through hard times if if you're trying to pretend and you're not willing to do do that work. And strong men and strong women are not just financial providers or whatever. They're they're providing all of that um, physical element of life necessities of resources, but they're also providing emotionally. So there's two parts for all of us to work on, I think.
0: Great points, Mellon. There is something in there that I'd like to say is, you know, during that time with Mellon and, and his daughter in the neonatal unit, Mellon was a Air Force officer and wore a uniform. And if you haven't seen this picture of him standing over Annie's crib uh, in it, uh, and then also he just explained a story about the guy that came up and handed him a newspaper silently. There was a silent connection of saying hello and having emotional connection without saying a word. It's very important. And when you sit there and think about life and what we, or I should say society really puts a spin on about people in positions or what they what they do, it's not who you are. How many, how many of us that have played sports have witnessed something or had a conversation or, you know, some type of situation where you look at a teammate and you don't have to say anything, but you look and you're like, that's my guy. Like, no question, like, oh, I freaking I love that guy. Because of something he did, his action, the way he made you feel, like whatever. You know, it's it's like a best friend feeling, right? It's just like you're proud to have that guy on your team for some random reason versus just him knocking somebody out or making a play. But it's something in between the whistles, as they say, is just like that guy is special. And that's an emotional connection, right? And they wear uniforms. You wear uniforms on a sports team. You wear uniforms in the military. You have all this stuff the big problem that I always feel is because you wear a uniform and you're supposed to be identified as a certain character because of that uniform is completely wrong. Like there's a quote that I I've heard since I was a teenager and you know, I used to think it was kind of corny. Like, I'm not going to lie. I think it was kind of like, Oh, whatever. Time has proven it wise because of, I, you know, you pay attention to it and and it shows its true colors. And the the quote is the uniform doesn't make the man. The man makes the uniform. And really think about that. It's not like any of us join the military and put on a uniform or a sports team or anything and we're instantly good. Like sprinkle the magic fairy dust over and it's like, oh, you're this amazing person now. You have these great qualities. You're a great teammate. You're a great man. You're a great father. You're a great husband. You're whatever. I've never met one person that does that. I've met a lot of people who think that's how it goes and then they emulate that. And then, you know, strictly just fall on their face. And how do I know that? Because I was partly that guy one once too. That's how I know. So uh, really thinking about that, what, you know, the uniform, right? You can think about military units, sports teams, doctors, um, you know, all these crazy positions that people hold on a high pedestal. You don't get there by accident but also you don't stay there by accident either. Uh, the really good people that you wholeheartedly trust, demonstrate a lot of emotional intelligence and tenderness. If they ruled by a fist and like a, lived like a dictator and no human connection, you are probably not going to want to spend any time with that person more than you have to. You're not going to trust them with your life. You're not going to trust them to fix you. You're not going to trust them with your children or anything that's near and dear to you really makes you think about what we put it in priority as far as society, you know, like for, for myself and I know for you guys too, doing what you guys do as pilots, you know, we always poke, poke fun at, a, at each other. Like, oh, you're a pilot and we have standards and, you know, this, that, whatever. And it's fun. But at the same time, if you're a pilot and you're an asshole, no one cares. If you do what I do and you're an asshole, no one cares. If You're a doctor and you have six degrees and all these fellowships and all this other stuff and blah, blah, blah. But you're an asshole. Nobody cares. Uh, it's, it's what's in your, in your breastplate, you know, as, as Stu says, it's what's in your breastplate that really magnifies that uniform. It's the character and it's the values that you bring. And, you know, all that is, is metal and cloth. That's all that is. It was manufactured and it says, Hey, this is a uniform for this type of job, but it's the person who makes the job. Right. And we get that so confused of If you achieve and you become this, then you're just, you've made it and you have nothing else to prove to anybody. Bullshit. You have to prove it every single day, every single day, that you belong in that uniform, that you belong in that community, that you belong in that circle. Every single day. And it's not just because I work out and I look good. It's not just because, Mm -hmm. oh, I, uh, you know, I said one nice thing today, so I'm good. No, it's, it's that reevaluation of yourself who you are what you're doing what your purpose is how are you handling pain how you're handling success how do you how do others feel around you how do you feel around others you know and and you should be going to bed every night asking yourself those questions for maybe five minutes I'm not asking you to write a, a journal every night but you know five minutes be like did, did I do it right today what could I have done better are the people around me better or are they worse off because of me? You know, and that's all about what's beneath the breastplate, not about what you woke up and put on to go to work today.
1: There's a lot in what um Stu Weber, he, he chose the title of this book very carefully. We're talking, I you know this has been described in previous episodes, but he was a Vietnam era um Navy SEAL. He went on to become a pastor and a leader in this community and has written this amazing book. with a, a massive background of... You know, military service, combat, and then also just life experience and making a difference in his community. So he's really seen really a lot of stuff here. And he's chosen the two words tender and worrying, put them together, and I've not ever heard those two things. It's like Raph was saying before, it sounds like they're opposites until you get down and you understand what he's talking about. So he's he's talking when he's chosen these two words about he, – he and he didn't use the word soft. Like Mike has um, highlighted here, he really – Contrast the word tender with soft, soft being something that's malleable and will change shape, whereas tender is something that's able to reveal affection and someone else. And and that's mated with the word warrior, which is obviously someone who's fierce and able to fight for something. And when you when you think about how those two words match and and what meaning and uh purpose and principles a person who's living a life like that, this chapter is really key where it's talking about. All of the reasons that you're going to be the, the warrior for they they're all coming back to some emotional, some heartfelt connection. He's defending something. He's not out—he's not out like a mercenary out in the field, you know, killing people. He's not running around like a character in Call of Duty, shooting anything that moves. He's driven and motivated by a desire to protect, you know, family, children, community, way of life when he was doing his military service and he went back and continued to serve that as a pastor and that's how those two things marry up. So in this chapter, he's talking about that ability to to connect with your emotions underneath and that is something that healthy men should be doing. It's not something you should not be pushing these things down or repressing your feelings. You should be examining your feelings, examining your childhood, trying to figure out if you're having behaviours that are not um, productive and helpful at home, with a family, in a relationship, at work, wherever it may be, you should be trying to get to the root of what, what has caused this and, and can you resolve it and deal with it and, and express yourself in a different way. So I reckon that this chapter is one of the key chapters for the whole book where it's involving that emotional awareness and the reason why Stu is out in the world in this fierce Role as a warrior. He's not just a warrior, he's a tender warrior and he's not soft. One thing that I I just wanted to raise here there's a tie in, a lot of this stuff ties in really well with Jordan Peterson and a lot of the way he looks at the world and he expresses himself. And in his um, current new book, The 12, 12 More Rules for Life, there's one in there that sort of I thought matched what we're talking about tonight is the 10th one, um, which is plan and work diligently to maintain the romance in your relationship. Hmm. And I really, I really see that as like a really wonderful value for men and women both to be working towards. And I think that ties in here that it's, it contains in that rule that it's not going to, you're not just going to have the spark of having just met someone and that you know, joy and uplift that you feel when, you, when you're when you just dating and you're trying to figure out if they're the one, that's that's not going to sustain itself over 20, 30, 40 years. That's going to take effort and it's going to take the kind of effort you're making in the beginning, but then you sort of can back off and, you know, everyone can fill on down over time and making it a point and a, a principle to apply in your life where you are, trying to you're not trying you are working diligently to maintain the romance and i think that that ties well with this beneath the breastplate chapter by Stu Weber, where jordan peterson is highlighting that without this hard work things will just drop off and you can just end up being companions or there's a reason why this relationship is different from all of your other friendships
0: mm-hmm.
1: and romance is a key part of it and so this is something that men should be doing this is not a womanly thing only. The guy should be making that effort and planning date nights and trying to remember what, what it was that you initially had this relationship begin. You know, why, for me, it's really a key thing in a family. You know, mum and dad, the love between mum and dad is the whole foundation that the family is built on. If mum and dad are in love with each other and best friends, then I think everything else in the whole family is going to be fine. And you, It can be easy with parents, especially with small kids, to like must focus on the kids, must focus on the kids, and you can lose that time. And so, if you don't plan it, it won't happen. And I think that the rest of your family life will flourish when that parental uh, love and relationship is alive. So I thought that was just a bit of a tie-in on the side. That's a beautiful (laughs) tie-in.
0: I mean, that's literally probably the pillar of the family right there, of like having a husband and wife being able to maintain. All of that, and, and the first, dude, the first thing I'm thinking about is at the beginning of this episode when you're talking about Cheza welcoming you home after being gone for a few days and like coming home to that type of warm household with family and your birthday and like everything else. Like, I know you you're you're a six foot four softy, you know what I mean? Like, you come home, dude, and you go from work and leaving that side, and and I and I really mean it. You you can turn it off, and you come home, and your dad you're a husband and your dad, as soon as you come home and I hear the way you speak about it, like when you come home and you're like paying attention to every detail, like, oh, she made, she made two big meals and I had this and the floor was clean. And I noticed this and the kids wrote me a letter and this and that, whatever, like you pay attention, man. And that doesn't come from, Hey, I'm Mellon, this giant pilot, see you next Tuesday. That's out there telling students what to do, and blah, blah, blah. Like they don't care. Like you know, yeah. like like, like Ob's always says the raft. Like nobody cares that you're a pilot raft. Nobody cares. <laughs> Like what they care about is who is the man that comes home to them. You know they didn't. <laughs> they they probably shouldn't have married you because you're a pilot or because you're successful at a job. It's because of the man that you are. And if you you probably ask any woman, like, would you rather have somebody that's extremely wealthy? and dishonest and just a piece of shit or would you have you know a a man that has little to no money but he's faithful he's honest he's emotional with you he loves and cares for you he's on you know all these different things I I would say mature women I don't want to say bad women because maybe it's just they haven't realized it yet but I would say a good mature woman knows what is really worthy and she would rather take the guy with no you know with little to no money and, and, and build from there and go up because that base is going to be strong versus somebody that's just wielding, look at my money and power and I can have whatever I want and you're expendable and I don't need to give you my time or energy and blah, 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 and go down the list. It's pretty clear, you know, and I know it's clear for me and like who I'm trying to be and my journey and reading this book and everything. So, uh, great points. And you know, I just want to give you both kudos because you guys truly demonstrate it and you tell me about it. You're not ashamed of it, even when you fail. But I know that you're trying. And, man, that goes a long way. So
1: That's another one I think that's a great point, Mike, is um, being able to talk about your failures. And that's probably the earlier point about uh, vulnerability, which is only possible when there's genuine strength. Being able to talk to my kids about times when I've, let myself down and not be my best has like I, I know that has given me an access to communicate and connect with them, and it's not an easy thing to think about doing, but it's like, and and you know I'm sure there are people out there. Who, there are some people out there, amazing people, maybe have not have not done this, but like, having and having your kids see it, like a strong, a tender warrior, a strong a strong mother or father or parent will be the one who brings that up and addresses that and, and lets the kids know that they're safe, that mum or dad was having a bad bad time, a bad day, give enough detail, not too much. You know, just let them know that there's reasons that you're sometimes not always in a great mood, but then really own it and don't leave it to the, to the children to have to guess or wonder or interpret that on their own and in that being vulnerable with them you know you can commit again you can apologize to your own children i think there's a real gift for the whole family when the parents are able to do that and there's a transformation of the relationship certainly as they get older like it just it doesn't have to be detailed when we're just simple the same sort of thing you'd want them to do but that ability to own when you've made a mistake to your own children is i think a real really aligned with what Stu was talking about in this chapter that you are you know fessing up and owning it not leaving the responsibility on the kids and you're able to then create something new and move forward and i think that gives them a sense of like their foundations are strong again they're not worried about the world moving underneath their feet and hopefully you're not you're not mucking up every day right like you're delivering on your word, like we said last week, you're delivering on your commitments that you've made. And if if this is a repeated issue for you, then you should be reaching out and getting help to address them. But yeah, really great point, Mike.
0: Thanks, Melon. Thanks for showing your tender side and giving me credit after (laughs) you have belittled me at the beginning (laughs) of the show. I really appreciate
2: it.
1: Wow. We We should probably probably
2: wrap up. I know Mike's got...
1: uh... Yeah, we've got a hard out here, guys. We've got super early. It was a super early start for Ralph. There's lots of stuff going on. But a great um, episode on Beneath the Breastplate, next chapter in Stu Weber's amazing book, Tend to Worry. Were there any final thoughts or um, uh, points that you, you hadn't brought up yet that you'd like to leave the listeners with there, Ralph? Is there anything that hasn't come
2: across you just want to drop here before we complete? No, I would just encourage anybody listening, man or woman, to read this book. I mean, honestly, I think it's hands down one of the best books, if not the best book that I've ever read. Like it's it's transform what I've thought about achieving in life and how I kind of see myself and my duties. And um I mean clearly I'm nowhere close, but it's it's something to aim for. And I think that if more more of us did, did this. Uh, I think we just could make this place better, and keeping it from going off the rails is certainly feeling
1: right. How about you, then, Mark? Is there any final thoughts or words that you wanted just before we close here?
0: Yeah, I want to borrow some of Stu's uh, questions. That's I always say at the end of each chapter. He really asks some deep questions, and may, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna get uncomfortable with some of these things. But uh, the first question is. Think of the men, you know, best, is it hard for them to express or discuss their feelings? And why like really do an evaluation of that and the people around you in your circle personally, professionally, and ask yourself, like, why don't do these people do that? Or do they not do it? And then ask yourself why, and then maybe ask them why get to know them, really get to know them. Not, not the outside cloth and the metals or pins or whatever that's on the outside, but really get to know them. Uh, Two is, you know, he mentions General Schwarzkopf said uh, he was afraid of a man who won't cry. Think about that in your life. Are you one of them? Are you afraid to cry? Ask yourself, you know, what do you suppose the general meant? Do you agree with it? Why or why not? Really explore what the bad things are about, you know, crying about something terrible or holding it in and really think about that. And then the last question that I really like. Think of the tender warriors you have known. What do they all have in common? How were they different? How would you like to emulate them? And off the top of my head, just for me, the tender warriors that I know, majority of them, not all of them, but majority, have all come from the military, have seen some really bad shit, really hard experiences overseas, experienced massive, massive amount of pain because of loss, injury, whatever, And it has morphed them into amazingly humble, soft, not soft, tender warriors. My great uncle Bobby I spoke about was one of them. And he was a POW as a Marine in Korea for 11 months. And he was one of the most tender people who would sit out on the porch and whistle to his wife, my great aunt Dot, when she got dementia. And he would sit out and sing songs to her and whistle to her on the porch every night and making her a cup of tea. And he, and he didn't want to be anywhere else until she passed away. I don't give a shit what anybody says. My great uncle Bobby was a tender warrior and hard as nails too. So, uh, that's who comes to mind instantly, uh, when I think about it. So for me, that's what I have in common is massive amounts of pain and understanding of loss and life. And, uh, but they've taken the time to develop what really, really matters. And, uh, you know, he was a great example of that. So ask yourself these questions, write them down, do an evaluation, think about where you fit in, who you want to be like. And I guarantee you, you're going to make some changes because I know the three of us have.
1: Great stuff. Well, thank you all very much for your time. We always appreciate it. Uh, We love a review and a rating. Five stars, good stars. It's less than that. Email us and let us know what you'd like us to improve other than eliminating uh, Mike from the podcast, which we try again. It's It's not working. But until next week, guys, take care and we'll see you then.